Well, welcome to Trinity Church. We've been uh, working our way through the book of Colossians, actually ever since uh, we first launched in uh, last September, took a little break for Advent, but we've been working through uh, paragraph by paragraph through uh, Paul's epistle to the believers in Colossae. And we have finally come to uh, the start of the conclusion of this book. We're in uh, Colossians uh, 4, verses uh, 2 through 4 today, and uh, three verses, but uh, provides an intriguing window into uh, who Paul is and uh, his mission today. And uh, don't be fooled, maybe if you, uh, as you turn to it in your uh, copy of God's Word, uh, yours is like mine, Uh, the ESV has this very inspiring you know, inspiring title in front of it called uh, Further Instructions. I, I know that just grabs your attention and just just can't put it down, have to keep on uh, reading. Uh, th- that's not inspired, don't worry. This is actually a very good ma- material uh, from the Apostle Paul uh, to those believers and uh, also to us. And to aid us in our study of uh, this passage if you didn't get a listening guide, you can uh, slip your hand up. Uh, DJ will come and give you a little listening guide. It has the points in it. it. has a good place for you to take notes and just can aid uh, listening to the sermon. So with that, let's read our passage for today. Uh, Colossians 4, uh, verses uh, 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Pray with me. Father God, as we come to your word, I pray that we would hear from you. It would not be uh, my words, uh, my speech that everyone hears, but that they would ultimately hear from your Spirit, as it is uh, only the power of the Spirit that can, can change me, that can change us to look more like you. We pray this in Jesus' good and glorious name. Amen. Have you ever carried out plans that you made that um, you you were kind of oblivious to what was going on that day in the area you were in, in life in general? We we all have, and realized, "Mm, maybe I shouldn't have made those plans uh, should have, you know, kind of read what's going on in the newspaper, something like that. One of my um, mistakes in this was uh, back when I lived in uh, Chicago for summer. It was a Saturday. I was uh, going down to um, downtown River North, and I, I was in college. I, I just, as you might know, I just wore whatever shirt. Uh, <laughs> was next in, they're like, oh, it's, it's clean, it's a Saturday, whatever. It was a, like a tie-dye shirt, 
Uh, and uh, also, well, while I was down in River North, had some other things to, some of you might know where this is going. Um, I had to, my sister had asked me to go to the Disney store and uh, pick her up something, which unfortunately was a really large Eeyore. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, it's Saturday. I, going back to the apartment, I pick up this uh, ridiculously large uh, stuffed animal and, um, with my tie-dye shirt. And I, I make the mistake. I mean, I already look ridiculous enough. But I make the mistake of taking the red line, uh, red train home. And it just so happens that I was going to have to take the Belmont uh, stop and get on the uh, 77 bus. And it just so happened I was going through a gay pride uh, festival, dressed in my um, tie-dye shirt and my big Eeyore. Looked ridiculous waiting for that 77 bus, uh, but... You know, I was, eh, maybe I should have taken the blue line <laughs> home uh, that day. And it just reinforces the importance of understanding of the time and situation in which I was living, in which we are living. And that's exactly what we see in our passage uh, today. As I was studying uh, these verses, I-, I missed it at first, but I- as I kept reading over it, chewing on it. Uh, I was eventually struck by the eschatological, that's your $25 word for the day, the end times uh, language overtones uh, in our passage today that uh, Paul uh, calls for perseverance in prayer implied to the end. Uh, Watchfulness is a key in our passage, and that is also a key in big moments in God's story, especially as we near the end. To declare the mystery of Christ, that that is a mystery that's made known in the last days. Uh, Paul says he is revealing it as he is destined to do. That's language of the arrival of the last days. This is an end times eschatological prayer. And uh, by use of such language, Paul is indicating that our prayer should reflect uh, the time in in which we live. You might say, so are you saying we're in the end times? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I I sure am. Um, (laughs) The the, the whole New Testament indicates that is true. Uh, Peter uh, believes we're living in the last days. And uh, his uh, sermon, uh, after Jesus' ascension, he, he quotes Joel saying, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The author of Hebrews agrees. He says, long ago, at many times and in, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Paul, even earlier in uh, this letter, uh, proclaims in uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, that this end times era has dawned, has already dawned. 
give, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, so we are living in the last days. Those days started uh, when Jesus walked upon this earth. He ushered in the last days. And our prayer should reflect this reality. So let, let me invite you to join me on this journey to see what this means for our prayer. Verse 2 again. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So first of all, our prayer should be steadfast. The main verb in this passage uh, can be translated, be devoted, be steadfast. Uh, The ESV adds continue in front of the the verb here, helping the reader pick up uh, the contextual indicators that uh, this is something that, that Paul believed the believers in Colossae were already doing and they needed to continue being steadfast in this. That they, they needed this exhortation to continue praying steadfastly. This is a call to habitual prayer, to perseverance in prayer, constancy in it. It's not comment on the intensity of prayer, not that Paul is against that in any way, shape, or form, but it's perseverance in prayer. And this shouldn't be narrowly defined as in my prayer life in the sense of, okay, all right, well, I guess this sermon will help me in the 10 minutes after I wake up in the morning, the 10 minutes before I go to sleep, and maybe, you know, help me and, you know, before meals or something like that. This is a, a prayer that operates in the sphere of all of life. It is uh, rightfully um, described as a worshipful existence. That entire life should be characterized by this steadfastness, this perseverance in prayer. So, so that sounds pretty good right? But uh, as we all know, that, that's easier said than done to be steadfast, to persevere in prayer. That's especially difficult when we don't see immediate results. That that was true in Paul's day. That's true in our day, especially relevant to um, people like myself and in the younger generations who um, how long do you wait for your computer to turn on? Like two seconds, five seconds, maybe give it seven. And if you had Windows Vista, you could probably make two cups of uh, coffee in your Keurig before it would finally turn on. It just, just not having it. And, but, but this is perseverance in prayer where we don't see immediate results like that. That God is calling us to steadfastness and to continue in it day, day in, day out. Uh, I've been working 
at, at my job, at the art of managing people. It's, it's an interesting, interesting art. And I've grown in my appreciation for people who can continue, uh, can persevere in tasks, even when they don't see the immediate results. That, as I've realized, the general tendency is if you print one report one day, it's not valuable. All right, you might print it the next day. And it's still on your checklist. You might print it a third day, but if you still haven't found it's valuable, after two weeks or so, I've realized the general tendency is I'm going to skip it. You're like, uh, hasn't been valuable for a couple weeks. I have more things to do and better things. We're just going to skip it. Uh, w- one guy that I, I admired in his uh, ability to persevere in these tasks was my, one of my old co-workers, uh, Roger. Um, he called me up a couple months ago and had an internet problem. And I, I was trying to help him through his, his problem. And he, uh, he told me that uh, he had, every time he turned his computer on, he would use command prompt to type a, f- a couple different, you know, IP config in command prompt. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. Well, don't worry. It, it, it's okay. But he, he would ask him, Roger, how long have you been doing this? Like a couple days? He's like, no. He, he rattled off the date sometime in October, a year and a half ago, that every single time he would turn on his computer to connect to the internet, he would go into command prompt and type a few commands because some Time Warner guy had told him to do that once. I thought, wow, you know, Roger, it's don't really need to, you know, this is 2018. <laughs> you know, it, computers are designed to connect automatically. You don't have to do that a couple times a day every time you turn your computer on. Uh, that's a little bit ridiculous. We don't need steadfastness, perseverance in uh, ridiculous outdated uh, tech procedures like that. But that's the type of perseverance we need in prayer, which really does matter, which really does make a difference that God does answer prayer. And in the process, he uses prayer to change us. Paul expands on what this steadfastness in prayer involves. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. So steadfastness requires watchfulness. This is the idea of spiritual alertness. What's your first thought when you think watchfulness in a spiritual context? Uh, At least when I, I grew up, I was taught to look at the signs of the times and, you know, look at the, looking for the Antichrist, the, the, the Pope, the current president, whoever it be at the time, P. 
people's receipts being $6.66 at Starbucks. Uh, Those weren't all my faves. Um, The Santa Monica Fault and um, eliminating a huge portion of the United States, some some pretty crazy stuff. Um, There's definitely a fascination and obvious avoidance of, you know, those back in the day, it was newer technology, those little chips they could put in uh, people, you know, to the sign of the Antichrist. Um, loved the, the, the discussions on how fast they could build a temple on the Temple Mount and where and where the materials would come from. And even uh, hearing uh, some pastors uh, uh, rattle on about uh, bird patterns over the nation of Israel and like, well, all right, I, I, that, that's very interesting and intriguing. And, you know, maybe since I left those circles, maybe ancestry DNA has helped them figure out how the 12 tribes will be regathered or something of that nature. But, but that's not the type of watchfulness we're, we're talking about here in this passage. That's spiritual fascination that you know, tickles the imagination. But we're talking about spiritual watchfulness that should cause you to desperately seek God in His Word because I need to hear from God. I need to commune with God in prayer. This is a spiritual watchfulness, alertness that should cause me to be on constant guard against the temptations of Satan, the temptations of my flesh. Alert to the time that we're living in. Alert to that there is a war going on uh, for my soul, for the souls of others. That this is not a a time of peace. We are in a spiritual uh, battle and alert to what time this is should cause me to be spiritually alert, to be spiritually watchful. And this, uh, this language echoes uh, the Garden of Gethsemane episode in Jesus' life. It's, it's not the exact same Greek words, but just a couple decades earlier, uh, it, it would Garden of Gethsemane, it would be impossible for uh, Jesus' followers to not hear that in the back of their mind as they read this uh, command from the Apostle Paul. And, and just, just a quick refresher, well, what, what went down in that, that Jesus desperately needed to pray. Remember, he took the uh, disciples with them to the Garden of Gethsemane, he then he told some of them to watch and pray there. He took his three closest disciples a little farther, told them to watch and pray. He said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He goes a little farther, or, you know, prays to God that this uh, cup would pass from him, nevertheless, the Father's will be done, not his. He's sweating tears of blood. And he goes back to the disciples 
three times and what does he find them doing? Sleeping. They're taking a nap and, you know, certainly they were exhausted, but he rebukes them and says, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. He, he reminds them that the hour is at hand for him to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. What was the disciples' problem then? Well, they didn't understand the time. They, they didn't understand the importance of the time they were living. They didn't see what was going on, that uh, this was Jesus' most difficult hour. He was about to be betrayed into the hands of sinners about to go to the cross uh, to be crucified. They weren't in tune with the time and their lack of watchfulness in prayer indicated that they didn't value that communication, that communion with God like they should have. And a, a lot changed from that episode near the end of Jesus' life to where Paul is a couple decades later and Jesus' then scared followers that ran off changed by the power of God, power of the Spirit in them became gospel bold and were were going around uh, sharing the gospel were from, from that incident, when they were not watchful in prayer, uh, God had radically uh, changed them. But we, we need to understand the time we live in, that we need to feel the weight of Jesus' imminent return. We don't live in a time of spiritual peace where we can just coast through our spiritual lives and just assume it's all going to be just fine. We need to be watchful in prayer. Well, when we don't, we show by our actions that we don't value communication, communion with God like we should. And then here in this passage, in a perfect Pauline fashion, Paul has another descriptor to add. Still verse 2 being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The the command is for prayers to be made in a spirit of thanksgiving, that steadfastness requires thanksgiving. Paul loves thanksgiving. He's come back to it time after time again in this passage. But what's its relevance here to steadfastness in prayer? First of all, if you are not thankful to God, you will lack the power to persevere in prayer. Just your alarm on your phone going off that you should wake up and pray pray isn't enough to get it done. A note on your windshield or on your mirror isn't enough to erase the other things your mind gravitates to meditate on. Even a desire to give Satan a knockout punch with perseverance and prayer isn't going to ultimately 
cause you to be steadfast day in, day out in prayer. But gratitude to God for saving you, now that will keep you coming back again and again to talk with God. And this uh, thanksgiving here, that steadfastness requires thanksgiving, that this thanksgiving expects God to answer because of who God is and what he has done in the past. In basketball terms, this isn't a full-court shot where it's just a hope that maybe, you know, one in a hundred that might go in or at least hit the rim or be close. Uh, This is that basketball shot where uh, the shooter... Uh, throws the ball up there and doesn't even have to watch as it goes in, knowing that, uh, knowing the result of the shot. And uh, that's what this confidence in prayer with thanksgiving inspires. And, and again, this is in an eschatological end times context. We, we know who's going to win in the end. We've read the end of the story, and we can already celebrate and thank God for the victory that he has provided in Jesus, that our victory is certain, it is guaranteed. And one more thing, uh, adding to the amazement of uh, this uh, descriptor of with thanksgiving, we'll see in the next verse, where is Paul when he's writing this? He's in prison. He's in prison and he writes again and again to uh, respond with thanksgiving, gratitude to God. So at this point, let me ask you, how are you doing in your steadfastness, in your perseverance in prayer? Are you watchful in it with thanksgiving? As you think about those questions this week, get, get to the root issue. If you are not a Christian, the root issue isn't that you need to try harder to pray and I need more reminders and stuff. If you, if you are not a Christian here, the root issue is that you don't know God. And if you don't know God, your few prayers for you know, things that come up and you need for some assistance from a higher power aren't going to do any good because you don't have a relationship with that God. You don't have the Spirit living inside of you, drawing you to come back again and again to hear from God in His Word and to commune with God in prayer. That is the the root issue. It's not a, I need to try harder. This would be a good thing to add to my daily regimen. No, you know, you need to add a relationship with God to your life. And if you are a Christian here, ask yourself, well, what do you not believe about God? Do you do not believe that he Do you believe that he doesn't answer prayer? He hasn't done enough to be thankful 
Do you struggle to believe that these are the last days that you are in a spiritual war for your soul? This is not a time of spiritual peace. Let's talk about that in community groups this week. How we can continue to uh, persevere, to be steadfast in prayer, and how we can encourage one another as a, a body of believers, we are, to steadfastness in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Let's keep going. Verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So our prayer should be missional. What do I mean by that? Paul calls us to adopt the posture of a missionary in our prayer. Missions isn't just for a select few people who are kind of weird, who want to go to faraway places. No, missions is for us here, for other churches in the Louisville area, for it is for missionaries we, we send out to other countries, but it's for their people who become Christians there too. Missions is for all of us. It's for me. It's for us. We need to think like a missionary, behave like a missionary, practice like a missionary, and it starts by praying like a missionary. Uh, Paul understands that these believers in Colossae have no shortage of things to pray about. But he's especially desirous of their intercessory prayer for the mission work that God has appointed for him and his fellow laborers. This isn't an evidence, Paul asking for prayer for this, isn't an evidence of pride that he thinks his mission is more important than theirs or anyone else's. It's actually evidence of humility that he understands his extreme need for the work of God in his life and in his ministry. He is eager for their prayer because he's heard the words of Jesus concerning petitions and believes in the power of God. And he mixes, as you see here, in verse 3 and 4, he mixes the we and the I language. He says, um, at the same time, pray also for us. And then in verse 4, he, he talks particularly about himself, I. That he, this is team ministry. It is both him working together uh, with fellow believers in the faith. And it's also particularly he's jealous of their prayers uh, for him. And uh, Paul tells us uh, more details about this mission. Verse 3 again. uh, Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. That the mission ultimately depends on the work of God. What 
this is not this is not just flowery language. So this open door is an ancient metaphor for ready access for an opportunity to an opportunity. But what is this open door for? It's for the word. Paul and his companions aren't removed from this equation, but he doesn't express it as an open door for, for them. It, it's first and foremost an open door for the word. As uh, Peter O'Brien puts it, this highlights the dynamic, almost personal character of the word. He, Paul said it earlier in chapter 1, verse 6, that the word is bearing fruit and increasing all over the world. The message has the transformative power. It, it's not Paul and his charisma that's going to get it done, his eloquent speech. This is the word at work. What this is not, this also is not a Paul praying for a get, get out of jail free card. Uh, some interpreters have taken you know, this to mean in a roundabout way that Paul is praying for his deliverance from prison, which is where he was at at the time. And, and granted, some opportunities for him wouldn't be realized without him getting out of jail and having access to go to other places and, and preach the gospel. But, but remember, this is an open door for the word. And in other passages, uh, Paul tells us about the great success of the gospel through his imprisonment, that people all over the empire had heard the gospel through the opportunities God gave him while Paul was in bonds. He's probably primarily thinking his evangelism to the guards, to visitors God brings his way. And uh, deeper than that, Paul isn't as we tend to be, as obsessed with circumstances. He just wants to be faithful in whatever circumstance God places him in, whether he's in jail, whether he's free, whether he needs to work to pay for his travels, whether wherever he is, he just wants to be faithful to proclaim the message of the gospel. And he knows that the mission ultimately depends on the work of God, the power of the word going forward. What, what else about this mission? We see in the next phrase, to declare the mystery of Christ. This, the, the mission is radical news. Well, let's not miss this. That we, we've talked about this uh, phrase earlier in the letter, the mystery of Christ. But we need to be reminded of the flip the world on its ear nature of this uh, term. That in... Uh, chapter 2, verse 2, the mystery is a person. It, it is Christ. Earlier, in chapter 1, verse 27, the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
This is Jesus personally and directly living in his followers. And this uh, privileged relationship isn't just for Jews anymore. It's for Gentiles, but like you and me too. This is shocking news for the people of Paul's day. This is shocking news for those under Judaism. This is shocking news for Gentiles who had been excluded from the people of God unless they become, they Judaize, become like Jews. That the Messiah in me, even me a Gentile, this is the secret plan of God for the salvation of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And these people are united in faith in Jesus, in a body called the church. Or Orthodox Jews still don't get this about Jesus, who is the true Jewish Messiah that they have rejected. How could Gentiles be included on equal standing with Jews? And that's the mystery that has been made known. And it's, it's never going back. This mission is radical news, and that is underscored by its cost. Let's continue in verse 3. The mission is costly. On account of which I am in prison. So this isn't the formal charge for his imprisonment, isn't preaching the mystery of Christ, but preaching the gospel brought opposition, which brought Paul to the prison in which he was sitting as he penned this letter. Why does Paul bring this up? This is a glorious mission. And we should be prepared for opposition. We, we serve a Savior who was crucified. And if you read the rest of the New Testament and some church history, you'll find out that uh, Jesus' followers didn't fare too much better. You know, unless you count being crucified upside down or boiled or all kinds of um, horrendous ways to be tortured, to to die unless you think those are good. Uh, it didn't turn out too well for them. They faced persecution, opposition. Uh, proclaiming the gospel isn't going to win you friends all the time, isn't going to buy popularity. People will hate you. They will despise you. They hated and despised Jesus. Jesus suffered and so will we as his followers. Jesus proclaimed it rightly that in the Gospels, we read to count the cost. Count the cost of being a disciple, a follower of him. What is that cost? That cost is everything. That if you've signed on to being a Christian, to the Gospel costing you everything, you won't be surprised when trials, tribulations come, when the, the cost is high, even in this case for Paul, the, his imprisonment, and wondering 
is this going to be, you know, is he going to die in prison? Is he going to be executed? And this is especially a relevant word for us as we live pretty comfortably here in America. And there's lots of people who've accepted Jesus, but a Jesus that hasn't cost them anything. And unfortunately, that when trials, when struggles come, when persecution arises, if you've accepted a Jesus that doesn't cost you anything, you're going to be bailing ship. Be warned. If you haven't counted the cost and signed on to this mission costing you everything, you will not make it in the Christian life. That this mission is costly. Paul, Paul doesn't say this so that the believers in the, the church at Colossae would feel sorry for him. He doesn't say this so that we would feel sorry for him. He wants them and he wants us to understand this gospel reality that the mission God's called us on is the same mission of Jesus and it cost him his life and we should be prepared for it to cost us ours. Verse 4, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. That this mission calls us to participate. Literally, that I may reveal it. This is the idea of reveal the mystery. And not so much the idea of proclaiming the gospel in a clear manner. But Paul's all for clarity in the process of presenting the gospel. But his focus here is uncovering the mystery to his audience. It's not about how many ums, fillers, false start sentences he has in his presentation. It's not about his eloquence in speech. It's not about his uh, foolproof argumentation. Uh, Paul is God's instrument, and he's revealing this mystery. That's what he's called to. Literally, second part of this verse is, as it is necessary for me to speak. This is the idea of destiny, compulsion for Paul, that uh, Paul believes that God chose him from his mother's womb to proclaim this good news, to reveal this mystery, that Jesus has captivated him and he can't help from proclaiming this message. He is bound to proclaim the gospel. Think of the Damascus Road uh, experience for Paul, how this a persecutor of Christians going to kill more Christians, put them in jail, oppose them, meets Jesus. Jesus beats him up a little bit um, and turns him from a Christian killer into a Christian maker. And Jesus has so captivated Paul that he has no other option but to proclaim the good news of this Jesus. So, so what does this mean for us? 
Well, first of all, trust in God's power to save. It's God's word at work in us and in the lives of the people. God's called us to uh, proclaim the gospel. We, we need to be awed by the gospel and the radical nature of it. We, we need to count the cost and, and be ready when it costs as much as Jesus said it would cost, as much as the life of Paul demonstrates the gospel costs. And we, and we need to make known this uh, good news to neighbors, friends, family, co-workers. You may not feel like your presentation of the gospel is the smoothest. You may not feel like you have all the answers to the questions that have come up or could come up from somebody who is not a believer. You may not feel like people really want to hear what you have to say. You may not feel like Sharing the gospel with somebody will do any good. But no worries, that's irrelevant. That doesn't matter. Be struck today that you are under compulsion through the grace of God in saving you, in redeeming you, that it is God's power at work in their lives, that you are called to proclaim this good news through the new desires God has formed in you by the work of the Spirit in you, if you are a Christian here today, to proclaim this good news. This is the mission that we are called to participate in. So, you know, Paul is calling them to uh, steadfastness in prayer. He's calling us to steadfastness in prayer. This isn't a prayer that just for a few minutes in the morning, a few minutes in the evening, this is a, a life of perseverance in prayer. And, and our prayer should reflect the reality of the time that we live in, that we, we do live in the last days. And our prayer should be missional. We, we should see that in these last days, it is not a time for us just to be going through life, doing our church thing, and not seeing the lost people in our lives, in the lives of others. We should be praying for an open door for the word to go forth and to work in the lives of those we know, those Others in our church, those in missionaries we send out, that the word of God would be at work. In it. And we're called to steadfastness in that. that. That's not easy. It's not easy to pray today, tomorrow, three weeks from now, three months from now, three years from now, that the power of God would be at work in a lost individual's life. But if we believe in the power of that, that is exactly what Paul is calling us to in this passage. So uh, jo join me in prayer uh, that uh, God would change us, that God would cause us 
to continue in steadfastness in prayer. Father God, we confess that we are more like the, the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane episode than we often care to admit. We struggle to be steadfast in prayer, to be watchful in it with thanksgiving. We often do not see with your eyes the mission that you have called us to, that you have called the church to in the world. I pray that you would produce and continue to produce steadfastness and prayer in us, that we would be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Make our prayer missional, as Paul prayed that the Colossians' prayer for him would be, that the word would be at work going forward, proclaiming the good news uh, through Paul's message, to the message of Paul's companions. I pray that it, it would be the same in our day today through the power of your spirit to Jesus' glory. We pray this in his name. Amen.